You're listening to the Run Beyond Podcast. This is Jason Brooks. And this week, Jason Schlarb and I sat down with Marco Altini to talk about all things heart rate variability. Marco holds a PhD cum laude in applied machine learning, a master's of science cum laude in computer science engineering, and a master's of science cum laude in human movement sciences with a specialization in high performance coaching. Marco has published more than 50 papers and patents at the intersection between physiology, health, technology, and human performance. He is the co-founder of HRV4 Training and a self-professed lover of running. I think Marco and his team get it right when they say that heart rate variability is the only practical, non-invasive, and cost-effective way we have to measure the activity of the autonomic nervous system. Our body is continuously readjusting to maintain a state of balance that we call homeostasis. Our heart rate blood pressure, glucose level, hormones, etc., react to the challenges we face, and the autonomic nervous system works to keep everything in balance so that we can function optimally. Heart rhythm, and therefore heart rate variability, is regulated by the parasympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system, the one in charge of rest and relaxation. Hence, measuring HRV is an effective way to capture how our body is doing while trying to maintain a state of balance in response to different stressors like training, lifestyle, etc. And in particular, a reduction in certain heart rate variability features typically means that parasympathetic activity is reduced and therefore we have not fully recovered or in general, there is more stress in our lives. HRV4 training is the first validated app able to measure your heart rate and heart rate variability reliably without requiring any external sensor. All you need is a smartphone with a camera. Place your finger over that camera 60 seconds every morning when you wake up. You'll get your resting heart rate, your heart rate variability. If you hit this at least five days a week, you can build a really nice data set over time. We hope that you get a lot out of this. We learned a great deal in this podcast. If you have any questions about anything we talk about in this podcast, please feel free to reach out to us. You can email me at info at the run beyond experience.com and we can help run down any questions you might have about heart rate variability or how you can use heart rate variability in your daily life. And now over to the interview. Jason, how are you today? I'm great. It's great. It's a sunny day here in Durango. How about you, man? Good. Yeah, we also got a nice 55 degree morning after a spate of heat and humidity. So I was I was enjoying it today. You're already talking about how it's cooler. That's that's sad, man. <laughs> it's like the first week of April. <laughs> oh, dude, it's been rough here. Yeah, it's welcome to the southern United States. Yeah, it's ugly. Yes. <laughs> Well, this is a really exciting day for us. We have Marco Altini on the podcast today. How are you doing, Marco? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And you're in Amsterdam, so I imagine you're also enjoying some really nice weather. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're still waiting for spring actually here. It's, uh, you know, it's been a bit, uh, for a crazy couple of days with uh, a lot of hail actually, which is rare here, but, you know, hopefully getting there with some, uh, some more sunshine in the next days. Okay. Marco, you're an avid runner. I was stalking you on Strava, <laughs> and uh, have you have you been a lifelong runner? 
Yeah, well, not really. Um, I think I started uh, when I left Italy uh, after my master's, so maybe I was 25 or something, you know, getting abroad, not knowing many people. Maybe it was some sort of way to cope with stress and, you know, throwing myself a lot into work uh, and everything I was doing there. So um, it always helped me manage that way. And yeah, then I started loving running. Uh, I'm not any good, just a recreational runner, but I, you know, I really enjoy the sport and, uh, and you know, going, uh, going out and, uh, yeah, and the benefits of it. Do you like to run on the roads or the trails? What's your kind of running, Marco? Yeah, I would say a bit of a mix. Uh, recently more the trails, so I'm going a bit longer. Um, got up to 60K recently. So, you know, step-by-step building um, towards longer distances. Maybe, you know, the craziness of the contemporary world helps <laughs> me even uh, in getting a bit more, uh, you know, in that mindset. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, that's what, what helped helps me the most now it's you know getting a bit out in the nature and the trails and spending hours there and trying to be fat fit uh, mostly to be able to do that you know without uh you know setbacks or issues um at the physical level so that's and uh, i would say mostly what motivates me and uh what keeps me going as well yeah you you just you mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking before the podcast that you're in the flat Amsterdam lands. My favorite place to run is you're Italian, right, Marco? Yeah, I, yeah. The Dolomites are probably my favorite place in the world to run. <laughs> I love them. They're so beautiful, and the Altavias and the Via Ferratas and the Refugios. I, are you are you starting yeah. to to dream of that and be able to travel back to that place? <laughs> yeah, yeah, certainly. You know, I was fortunate last summer during uh, you know a short break we had between uh, COVID waves. We drove. Uh, to Switzerland we didn't go all the way to Italy but you know still it's the same mountains that's the other side so yeah that was uh, yeah some of the you know UTMB uh, courses and trucks so it's uh, yeah really beautiful and uh, definitely cannot wait to go back uh, as soon as that's you know a possibility <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a, it's like a gift it's, it's it's Christmas time you know we're waiting and waiting yeah. it's going to be wonderful to return <laughs> look forward True. to it as well your resume is one that I think is just really fascinating. You have this great intersection of computer science and exercise physiology, but you didn't grow up running or or maybe you played some other sports. How did you, at what point did you think, I'm going to become a data scientist and an exercise physiologist and then <laughs> marry all this together in technology products that help athletes and humans perform better and improve their health and wellness yeah well that sounds great uh, it wasn't <laughs> a master plan though it was you know it just happened organically i would say um, um i had studied computer science and engineering you know it was maybe 15 years ago yeah and you know i enjoyed the process but at the same time uh was struggling to find something that would really maybe make me more passionate about it and then I had the opportunity to work in a research institute where they were developing the first wearable sensors, you know, like things to measure brain activity or uh, heart activity and, and all of that, that is now so common. But it was, you know, the very first prototypes. And I think there something changed. I got really interested into, you know, this data that was coming from the human body and how we could use that to learn more about, you know, the body and how we respond to stressors, how 
things like fitness changes as we do different activities and you know not even talking about elite athletes or athletes in general just you know for the regular population how do we stay healthy and all of that so it started a bit that way and then uh, I had an opportunity to do a PhD still in this research institute where we had these sensors and you know we started looking at the data because again the times were changing a bit so before companies were making hardware and sensors and maybe universities were using them but then, you know, this could become consumer products that anyone could use. So you had also to provide value using the data and, you know, try to estimate useful parameters from this data so that people could benefit from it. And I spent a few years doing that. Um, this was all, you know, very generic, let's say, not a specific application. It's more about, you know, the infrastructure that allows you to do that, uh, to measure and to um, analyze the data. And then from there, yeah, it was also the years I started running and you had the first smartphones. So, you know, like 12 years ago, I think, the first Android phone uh, and then the first iPhones uh, that allowed you to pair Bluetooth sensors. So you could actually collect data without using these custom sensors that we were making, but anyone could actually do that. And yeah, there, the interest started building up, you know, now I can make something that anyone can use to measure their own health and, you know, their own cardiac activity. And then it's also, you know, when HRV for training started and uh, building up on top of that. Uh, and just briefly to close, you know, all the loop, I just ended up working with, you know, many athletes and in sports science through the technical work because we developed this technology that allowed anyone to measure just using the phone camera. So not even the straps anymore. And yeah, I just got more interested into the topic. And then I came back to Europe and, you know, studying here is cheap. <laughs> it was uh, maybe a thousand euro for a uh, for, uh, for another master's so I thought why not getting back into school and so I, I went and started studying again uh, sports science and uh, human physiology and high performance coaching and that uh, was yeah uh, I think a bit uh, you know how I managed to get a bit of uh, both sides and uh, and hopefully that helps in you know building tools that are more useful. Wow, incredible. That that's awesome. a that's an amazing path and the convergence of that, you know, science and engineering and and uh, you know, into sport. Like I I I really appreciate that. I think that's really awesome and 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 I'm excited to hear about some of the stuff that you have discovered and and some of the utility that that you know, we can you know, leverage now as athletes and and be able to understand ourselves better. Like uh that that's that's phenomenal, Marco. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, so we we came here today to talk about heart rate variability because that's really what you're working in. And I do want to say as we step into that, that we're really having a broader conversation about stress management and thinking about how we understand and manage our physiological stress, no matter what the source of that stress is, whether it's our training stress or mental, emotional stress, or comes from some, some other source. In that context, heart rate variability becomes sort of a tool, right? And uh, so can you, can you give us the, the sort of layman's definition of heart rate variability? Or if somebody had never heard the concept before, how would you explain to them heart rate variability? Um, well, uh, yeah, you said it very well already, you know, in, in the context of uh, measuring stress, uh, what we do is, you know, we take a snapshot of your physiology 
um, you know, your heart does not beat at a constant frequency. So even if, you know, you measure your resting heart rate in the morning over a minute is, I don't know, uh, 60 beats per minute. It doesn't mean that you have a beat every second. There is always some variability between beats. And this turns out that is uh, driven by um, especially at rest, the autonomic nervous system. And basically, these are response of your body to the many sources of stress that you face. So as you face more stress, this variability would reduce. So the heart gets a bit more constant. While when you are more relaxed, you have more variability. So this is a process um, that you know is driven in your body as you know the body tries to maintain um, homeostasis, which simply means a state of balance, right? So there are other things that we know also work that way. Think about you know blood pressure, or even just again heart rate. You know everything self regulates over time as we face different stressors. Uh, there are changes, and heart rate variability turns out to be one of the best um, non-invasive measurements of uh, these stress responses of the body. If we measure it, you know, in the right way and we interpret the data in the right way, these are two very big, uh, you know, things we can talk about later. But, you know, it's all about just the stress response and how you capture that. Um, and as, as you said, really, um, any stressor. So, you know, typically we work in, in sports or with athletes because those are the people that are more motivated to look into this. Uh, and really doesn't matter the level you are at, you know, you can be elite, you can be recreational, every runner or, you know, every athlete has uh, their own goals and, you know, they are really driven by them and, you know, by um, whatever they want to achieve. And that typically makes them, us, I'll say, more inclined in, you know, taking your measurement, for example, if you have to, to do that. And it's also easier in the context of sport to use the data. You know, again, assuming we do everything right, then once there is more stress, for example, you know, we lower down training intensity for today. So it's something you can actually, uh, you know, there is actionability, which is uh, it's not always the case if we think about psychological stressors or, uh, you know, you measure your HRV because you have a lot of stress uh, at work in your family, health problems, you know, often you cannot do anything about it or it's much more difficult to have, you know, that level of daily actionability that you have in exercise. So that's why typically there is a large focus in that application. But again, it doesn't have to be because it's just stress. In, in understanding this variability, you know, can it, you know, tell you, like, okay, you know, you, you have too much stress or these kind of stresses are doing this to your body. Um, you know, what, what, is, what is some of the fruit of, of, of understanding more about heart rate variability, you know, as an athlete and as, a, as just a human? You know, what, where, is, where is the benefit yeah. there, Marco? Yeah, so I think, you know, the first step, probably awareness. So, you know, you start notice, you know, how your body responds response to certain things um think about um i don't know uh intercontinental traveling you know when when we did that <laughs> in the past that you know it's a strong stressor on the body uh think about alcohol and you know maybe you have a beer and you know it's it's great and then you have two beers and you feel a bit you know maybe it's not that great but then um you see objectively that you know when you have a bit more than your body does not, you know, bounce back as quickly as before. So you think, okay, maybe I'll have just one next time. And then in the context of exercise, again, 
there, it's really about the response of the body. It's not just that, you know, you go hard and you expect HRV to drop. Not really. Uh, you know, if you are fit and you are ready to do that session, then you expect things to stay within your normal. And that's what, you know, uh, is really important because if it is just about the stimulus, then knowing the stimulus gives you already the answer. But the response depends on how you deal with that stimulus, with that training. So, uh, you know, from a training perspective, you look at your day to the day after a certain session and then everything is within normal. It's just confidence. You know, you know, okay, everything is going according to plan. Uh, and, you know, we continue that way. If in, instead you see a drop, uh, then, you know, uh, it could be also fine because maybe part of your plan was already to rest that day or, you know, it was, you know, you still you periodize your training, you had some sessions and then now you have planned some easy days. So, okay, I have a drop, but, you know, maybe I'll bounce back quickly. But if you don't, then, you know, maybe you start making some other adjustments so that you avoid to basically uh, end up in this condition of, chronic stress in which your HIV is always suppressed uh, and that's you know just a negative adaptation so you use the data for awareness and then I would say once you start building you know more of the data the baseline understand you know where your physiology is with respect to your, your historical data something you know maybe we can talk a bit more in detail later um, then you can start making these adjustments so that basically you try to stay within that optimal zone for you um, which should always be the case, honestly, if there are no, you know, stressors that you're not basically responding well to. Gotcha. From listening to what you said, Marco, it, it, it sounds like, you know, we can find out what these, um, you know, what these stresses that we put on ourselves, rather that be alcohol or, inter, you know, travel, jet lag, lack of sleep, um, stress from life, we can maybe start to understand how the effect, you know, makes a toll on our, our body and then also maybe go and, and be able to understand how to mitigate or how, how much of an impact that makes on our, our you know, our, our body. Am I getting that right, Marco? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that sounds great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about HRV4 training is that it's not just about the quantitative data, but the app allows you to input subjective feedback every day about how you feel, whether or not you were traveling, alcohol that you might have drinking, uh, what your sleep quality was like. And so you can pair that with, with that quantitative feedback. And then when you look at your historical insights, you can see times when you maybe reported injury or alcohol consumption and and you can see whether or not that has acute effects on heart rate variability, which makes that it's part of that awareness building process is seeing, okay, when I do these certain things in my routine lifestyle, this is how it affects me physiologically. And you might even note, you know, there's a notes field. I encourage athletes note, like I had a fight with my spouse or my kid blew up yesterday or something crazy happened at work. How, how does even, something like that affect you yeah yeah exactly you know it's all about context and i think uh you touch on many important points there one is uh you know this is just another data point it's just an objective view of stress but it's not there to replace you know how you feel uh communication with your coach you know it should add to self-reflection but it should not replace anything sometimes 
you know you got you know people get very polarized about technology you know either i use the tool and i'm a slave to the tool and the technology or i don't want to hear anything about technology so i hope you know uh, sometimes we try to find some common ground in there because obviously this is just a data point at the same time is uh, a useful one but it needs to be contextualized if you just look at physiological data from your athlete and you don't know anything around it you know you're not looking at anything meaningful but then if you look at it with respect to how they were feeling how they were sleeping how they were training then you start to understand okay here this happened and here this happened and then maybe next time i can try this and see you know if the response is still positive or if it is better um so you know we just add some information in there uh which which can help guiding the process and um yeah, as you said, also, you know, something I hear a lot from, uh, especially with professional athletes, typically the coach knows everything about the training because, you know, everything is very well detailed and, you know, there is lab testing and, you know, more is going on. But at the same time, you know, sometimes maybe they see a negative trend in the data and that's just a useful pointer and an excuse to start a conversation about, okay, but what else is happening? Because, you know, maybe the athlete is getting a divorce in the meantime and you don't know. And that's a huge stressor. So, you know, sometimes some objective data in there can help that conversation. But, you know, again, it should just not replace everything else. It's just one piece of information that you add. Uh, and that's why we try to provide, you know, these additional data points in the, in the app, the questionnaire, how subjectively people feel uh, and context that then you yourself can also browse, you know, so that you figure out uh, your own data, even how that, you know, basically correlates with other things you're annotating. Nice. Nice. It seems like heart rate variability and, and paying attention to it, experimenting with it is a great, uh, a, a possible way to like bridge the gap between whole life experience and, you know, physical performance and being able to learn more about yourself and see the you know measurable data that you know what affects that body and that 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 just that fascinates me that excites me that makes me want to learn more about that and and use that tool it it, it am i getting that right marco yeah 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 i mean that's uh, that's it <laughs> it's really great because you know Sometimes outside of endurance sports, people are like, but, you know, do you use HRV for, I don't know, resistant training? I'm like, I mean, do you have an autonomic nervous system? Like, do you experience stress? Yes. So it doesn't matter what sport you do because, you know, there is like everybody experiences stress in different ways. It's just, just a way to capture it. And uh, there is exercise, there is other things. And obviously our capacity to handle stress is limited. Like everybody understands that, you know. That's why people have burnouts and overtraining. It's just, you know, too much stress. So no matter what we do, I think it's just a useful way to try to capture that and then make adjustments before basically it's too late. That's awesome. And, you know, I, it makes me think back to running in, in college. You know, we had these training logs and, and, you know, we said, okay, how did the workout go? Was, you know, zero to 10 for how hard it was? And then there was this other line of like, how do you feel? You know, what, what do you, how did you feel before and after? And, you know, is a number between zero and 10. And, you know, there's obviously the human factor too, with the coach of, you know, talking and hopefully having that communication, but even, you know, even with 
seven athletes or 15 athletes, or especially, you know, with a high school program or a collegiate program or, you know, an online coach or, you know, a training group, you know, it's hard to really kind of get that information and, and represent it, you know, and it, it seems like those ways are a little bit more archaic than the potential to actually see what stress is doing to you with that heart rate variability. And I, I think that that's where the, the magic, the money, uh, the, the, the great benefits and, and, and where we can actually, you know, you know, improve and, and be able to, you know, understand our bodies to do better. I think that that's, uh, that's awesome, man. And I, I, I'm jealous for those people that are, you know, just now getting into sport that could potentially use this from the very beginning to really learn those lessons, you know, personally. And it's so uh, adapted to that individual. I think that that's, that just blows my mind, man. I think that's great. Great to hear. Yeah. Awesome. I want to test my understanding of, of the benefits of acute versus long-term trends in heart rate variability. And so, we, we've kind of talked about this concept really of long-term trends being that we can see whether or not we're absorbing training or plateauing or overtraining. You get those sort of like injury risk versus readiness to perform, optimal load. These And these are all metrics that exist in, in the app, right? And are and kind of the key metrics you'd want to look at. And I, I find that in the coaching circles that I run in here in Austin, it's the acute feedback that can be more controversial. And some coaches want to just sort of ignore it. So once you build a baseline in the app, you get feedback on a regular basis about whether or not you're within your normal heart rate variability values. And, and if you're outside of those norms, sometimes it could be useful to take it easy on that day. And you kind of want to take that feedback and match it with how you feel. So if you wake up and you feel like shit, and then you get this feedback that says, maybe you should take it easy. That might be a good time to do it. And, and my, my argument has been that when you could still go out and do the workout, if you, if you, even if you feel bad and you get the feedback that you should take it easy that day, I find that a couple of things happen. One is that you're leaving performance opportunity on the table. So your body does not have the same capacity for stress on that day, which means that you're likely not going to get as much out of a hard workout as you would if you had a better physiological state that day, if you were more in that parasympathetic state. But also as you're in that predominantly sympathetic state, so your body's pretty stressed out, you're fatigued, and you're more likely to get injured. Like that is a higher injury risk zone, I, I make the argument. And so I want to, te- do, I, do I get this right, Marco? Is that fair or am I giving people? Yeah, yeah, this? no, I think that's great. Uh, you know, I understand bo- both points of view, uh, especially as a coach, uh, you know, tools uh, provide advice and then, you know, that might be in conflict sometime. It can be annoying. I think it's really important, you know, just to, try to be clear on the communication of, you know, what are we measuring, why, uh, how is this useful, how we can use it. The tool should be there, again, to aid the process. And I think, you know, over the years, the interpretation of the data has changed a bit, right? In the early days of HRV, it was interpreted often as, you know, higher is better. And we keep this very simple reasoning, which is, however, not very applicable 
to HRV and other physiological measures because, uh, you know, what does that even mean? If today your score is just a bit lower than yesterday, what does that mean? Most likely nothing because there is high variation between consecutive days. So we need to determine, you know, what is this normal range for you? And you can fluctuate in all of that and it doesn't mean anything. Everything is normal. And when you are outside of this, because your HRV is lower, as you mentioned, maybe, you, you know, you have um, a low score on a day, that's by definition is a rare occasion because it means that you're outside of what is considered normal for you. So it's, you know, already a bit of a red flag. And sometimes that could signal things that maybe we haven't realized yet. Uh, we've seen it, you know, unfortunately, so much this year with, you know, COVID and everything. And people may be seeing it in the data just the day they start developing other symptoms or a day earlier because, you know, your body is already fighting an infection, something is wrong. And then, you know, the data reflects it. And then later, uh, something else, you know, uh, manifests. So... There are things that are, um, you know, again, red flags that we could pay attention to so that we don't compromise in the longer term what can be, you know, our performance and our health. So I think, uh, you know, the acute changes, um, we need to keep an eye on them. At the same time, you know, there is a low score, you feel great, uh, you had planned these interval sessions, you go and you do it. I mean, I did that myself sometimes, right? <laughs> so it's not that you cannot do that and it's crazy. It's like, it is fine. There is day-to-day fluctuations. I think another thing that has changed a bit apart from the higher is better, you know, now again, we look at the normal values, but we look also more at baseline changes. So that means trends, weekly trends, mm-hmm. more than the acute daily trend. So if my HRV has been solid for a couple of weeks and today I have a dip, but I feel great, Maybe I ignore it. And then, you know, if tomorrow and the day after still things don't trend well and, you know, the baseline starts to go down, then, okay, you know, it's just maybe instead of one red flag, you need two or three to, you know, for the message to sink in sometimes. But then if that was just, you know, a false alarm, everything is back to normal. And maybe, I don't know, you didn't digest well something that you ate because, you know, that will have an effect that will just have a dip, but it's not anything serious from health or performance point of view. It's just really acute. And again, baseline will not be affected because the day after you will be back to normal. So as you as you measure, you start to see these things and understand how that works. And I think you manage you know, the use of the data a bit better, uh, both at the acute day-to-day level and then in the longer term. Yeah, and, you know, it, when you look at the data retrospectively, obviously the longer term are the only thing that matters because you look at you know, these larger changes but then on a day-to-day basis, sometimes it's a bit more difficult to just think that way and ignore the, the acute change because that's the score you see that day. So in a way, you need to step back a little and think, okay, but let's look at the big picture for a second. Everything seems okay or maybe not. How do I feel? Uh, you know, integrating that information uh, so that you can make an informed decision on, on what to do that day. Makes sense. Yeah, I I really like the idea of being able to have those multiple red flags for when, you know, I'm walking the line for too long. I'm I'm pushing the body too long or or I've I've done too many weeks in a row of high volume and high intensity. And, you know, I do, you know, where does that where where is that line of like, you know, absorbing and then, you know, you know, getting tired versus 
you know, and absorbing, but starting to get run down and, you know, not being able to see the benefit of the stimulus anymore, you know, just because, especially in our sport, in, in, in trail ultra marathon and, and just, you know, distance endurance racing, you know, you, you just finding that place where you want to pull back and not, you know, over exhaust yourself is, is such a, such a, you know, meaningful and important and, and, you know, very valuable thing to understand and know for each individual athlete and how that is so much different for me than it is for Jason, for it is for Killian or, or somebody that's, you know, in the back of the pack. And that's, uh, that's incredible. And, and to be able to have that extra tool by monitoring and measuring and keeping track of that heart rate variability, I, I really, really like that, you know, the, the cute versus the, 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 the big picture. I, I, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Marco, when somebody first starts using HRV4 training, they need to build a baseline and it, it only takes a few days of measurement. And I've always wondered when is the best time to start using HRV? Should I do it when I'm in a kind of a base training phase and my output is is relatively normalized, or is it okay to pick it up anytime because it's a relative measure of physiological responses to training stress anyway, or general stress? Yeah, um, great question. You know, like also this has changed a bit. Before we would think that way. It was like, okay, now uh, it's a moment to build this in baseline and initial values for an athlete, and then you know we will use this forever as the normal for this person as and monitor how things change over i don't know many months well now we don't do that anymore um in research but also in the app because um we think this your normal changes over time uh, and you know that it can go higher or lower even just because of uh, seasonality you know winter and summer physiology changes a bit so you don't want to be stuck in something old at the same time, you don't want to change it too quickly because if you have, you know, a couple of rough days or maybe even a week or two, that those lower values, you don't want those to be your normal again, right? So your normal is better than that and you need to identify that now you're below that, but you bounce back. So the trade-offs there, you know, are this. And what we ended up using is two months of data which I think reflects well, you know, your baseline physiology and how things change over time in response to, you know, strong acute stressors, you know, the ones that have an impact of 24, 48 hours and the ones that are longer and more chronic. And the app always uses recent data to do that. So it doesn't matter when you start to answer your question because basically it always updates. It. So if you start today, after four days, it will start giving you some advice, but then it will use up to two months of data to determine what's your normal. And once we've reached two months, then it's going to shift that every day so that it's always the past two months. So you have current data on what's your normal physiological variation, and then that's what is compared to, uh, and it will change over time, again, based on seasonality as well as chronic and acute stress. That's awesome. So then that's also another long-term trend you can kind of pick up seasonal variation and yeah yeah for sure you know sometimes we say yeah typically i would say some uh, maybe lowering of heart rate in summer and with maybe a slightly higher hrv difficult sometimes to tease out you know the 
reasons behind that. It could be that, you know, some athletes just train more and have, you know, more aerobic base. Maybe they also bike those months because that's typical here, for example, you know, it's summer. You spend many more hours outside and you add other sports to running and maybe everything has an impact. But then, uh, you know, you, the data would not reflect that you are abnormally fit or your service is particularly different because everything shifts slowly with time. Uh, and then it's, again, just your normal. I would imagine you know, long-term continuity, too, is being able to look at the summer of 2021 versus the summer of 2020 versus the summer of 2022, you know, to, to be, so that you have that seasonality. And assuming that, you know, you don't have any big injuries or a divorce or whatever, you can go back and look at how those trends are for that season for that, you know, you know, let's say, you know, I traditionally have my biggest races in, you know, the, the summer to the late summer, then I can go and, and kind of compare that. And it would be great to be able to look at that and how I'm feeling during the, the winter speed and, and lower volume versus you know, building up in the spring and summer and then performance, you know, and what the variability looks like there and how I, you know, if I, you know, I could compare year to year, that would be really, really awesome. I think that would be really powerful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And even, you know, things like off-season when, you know, after, you know, your big races and maybe taking some breaks and then building up again with training. And typically you can see also there, especially in, again, uh, professional athletes or good athletes, uh, you know, values increase as you build up more training. Again, uh, this reflects the athlete is responding well. It's, you know, getting back into... Um, what you know you thrive doing basically which is training a lot and being fit more than the off season so while you know for the maybe the recreational athlete that really needed a break uh, things will trend better when there is a break but for a professional athlete you might see that actually the data picks up more as training builds up because that's uh, you know the positive response for that athlete so i think that's also where you see large differences between individuals in the responses based on, you know, the training you can take and your level and everything that happened before. Yeah, makes sense. Hey, I, I, this is kind of going backwards a little bit, Marco, but for people that don't know much about like even just heart rates and uh, the, the ways to monitor it, is this program like, should I be wearing, a, you know, my wristwatch heart rate monitor? Should I be wearing a chest strap? And how often do I need to collect data? How, how, how best to approach this? Like, what are the ground rules? And, you know, it just, just how, yeah, how, yeah, how do we do it? <laughs> That's super, super important because, you know, much of the confusion about HRV is because uh, historically it has been done in many different ways. And nowadays, uh, maybe it's even more confusing because you have even tools that measure it while you don't do anything. And then they spit out some numbers, but maybe they were collected at some random times of the night. And that might not be as helpful as doing it in a specific routine or using the whole night of data. So there are different ways. Um, what I think is best is two ways to do this. One is first thing in the morning with our app, you can measure with the camera. The system is validated against uh, chest straps as well as ECGs. So it's as accurate and that way, you know, it's cheaper and you don't need to wear anything, but it's important that you do it as soon as you wake up. So while you're still in bed, ideally, uh, you know, before you have coffee, 
before uh, I don't know you go on your social media and get annoyed by something or someone uh, you know like anything that stresses you even for just five minutes you don't want to do that before measuring <laughs> so just do that later and then you know it's very simple you just wake up measure measurements of one minute are as good as longer ones so typically we recommend doing that it's quicker and to do that again ideally every day but minimum you know as coach that maybe you try to you know you ask athletes to use the technology and you know maybe it's pushed from someone else so they are a bit less self-driven into doing this and they might forget and things like that so if you get four or five data points in a week that's great it's uh, something you can work with minimum three i would say less than three it's of little use because of you know we talked about there is much variability between one day and the other then you know you just might get a dip and a higher score and you don't really know what's normal for this person so i would say you know Three to five, five, it's much better than three. And then again, ideally every day. So you can also see much better these acute changes one day from the other, you know, supposed to a very specific stressor, which otherwise you cannot see. Um, that's the easiest way to measure. The app works also with uh, Bluetooth straps. Normally we recommend polar straps just because we validated them also in the same studies. So we know for sure that they are as good as a, um, an ECG, but at the same time, I think Garmin straps also work the same. Yeah, not all straps though. Almost no watch can measure HRV accurately. The Apple watch can do it, but it needs also to be used first thing in the morning. We, if you use the data, it collects automatically throughout the night. That's unfortunately not good um, because it can be, you know, five minutes at 2 a.m. one day and then five minutes at 4 a.m. another day. And that's influenced by the circadian rhythm of HRV changes through the night, but also on, on basically by sleep stages. So if once it measures while you are in deep sleep and once while you are in REM sleep, there's wild variations in HRV during sleep stages. So you basically, you know, sometimes we think, okay, I'm unconscious, that's best. You know, I don't think about it. I think it's better than measuring in the morning. But it's not true because a lot is happening in your in your body while you sleep. So even those moments can be basically um, not standardized correctly. And that's why normally the way to collect data throughout the night is to use a lot of the night, the entire night ideally, or at least four or five hours. That's as good as taking morning measurements. And it's a good snapshot of resting physiology. Uh, I work also with Aura, so, you know, they make a ring to measure physiology throughout the night, and that's something that can be integrated in the app, and it provides uh, an alternative, you know, for people that maybe don't want to take the morning measurements or forget. Obviously, it's a different budget at that point, so many trade-offs always, but those are, I think, two ways that um, I feel comfortable recommending as, you know, ways to get this accurate snapshot that is not influenced by everything else that is happening. Um, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I mean, to be able to get all that data by just when you wake up, use the heart rate monitor strap, a polar is, is, is your preferred and just get that data for a minute, right? When you wake up, you know, once a day and you could have all of this data, you know, to, to be able to, to use and, and measure and, and understand. I, I, that that's fantastic, man. Easy enough. Yeah. Yeah. So Marco, I love that you're, you're bringing this kind of technology to the masses in a very simple way, right? Reducing friction. So the, the fact that you can use your phone camera, so you don't even have to buy a heart rate strap if you don't want one. 
And then the app is only $10. One, a one time $9.99. You say only, but people apparently have different opinions about what, oh, really? what, what oh, software man. should cost. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, well, yeah. I guess I worked in software, so I know that um, <laughs> it's definitely not cheap to build something like this. And, uh, and so, I mean, I think that that's really great. My question, Marco, is when like the iPhones and Androids came out with multiple camera lenses, did you freak out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I really freak, freaked out, especially, you know, the first years when they started adding two and three. Um, but yeah, eventually it turns out it's simple, simpler than it seems uh, because no matter how many cameras, there is always one main camera. And so that's what is used uh, on the phones. And then, uh, yeah, every year it's just a matter of figuring out which one and making some small changes. But the technology fortunately stays the same. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's funny. It's always, you know, uh, a cause for major sources of stress when it's September and they're about to launch a new phone. And it's like, how it's <laughs> going to look and how many cameras. But yeah, it's... Um, yeah, the technology fortunately has worked reliably for many years. Actually, just uh, last month there was uh, even an independent validation. So you know, obviously we show we show the data and share our comparisons and studies. But it's good that you know someone else went through the trouble of using HRV for training, comparing it with ECG, and showing that both when it's paired to the camera uh, or to a strap, it provides uh, data as good as the reference so that you know people can trust the system uh, which is of course the most important thing to start with otherwise you know if you're just not collecting high quality data uh, no point looking at it and then you know hopefully from there we can start having these conversations about how you use the data and you know what is normal for you deviations from that and everything that we've been talking so you have some other experimental products besides HRV4 training. One of them I really like is, and I I should say, I like the idea, I like where you're going with this. I've just started using it and I, th I think it's relatively new. So there's, I have some learning to do, but I've really been figuring it out. And it's the HRV logger. I try this polarized training model, right? So yeah. that's one of the things that you're big on is the polarized training model, which means you spend about 80% or more of your time in endurance sports running at roughly your aerobic threshold. And that if you do that, you minimize a lot of the stress that that can come from pushing above that threshold. That's when your body really gets a strong sympathetic response. And so that's a lot of stress you have to recover from. And you can just over time, you know, what Dr. Phil Maftone says is you build that aerobic capacity by training at that level for a long time. And in the absence of a sophisticated laboratory testing, it's hard to figure out what that aerobic threshold is. And so for the longest time, I've just used the 180 rule, right? Or what a 180 formula, Dr. Maffetone calls it, where you just take 180, subtract your age, and then that's roughly your heart rate. You've eliminated the guesswork again at a <laughs> with a cost-effective solution through HRV logger where you're using heart rate variability and this, this metric, I don't know what you might call it, of DFA alpha one. And I just carry my phone with me connected to the heart, the chest strap that I'm already wearing on every run and I can track this metric and I can really dial in what my aerobic threshold is without trying to guess at it. And um, so it means that I don't have like a broad heart rate variability range that I might be testing in from a metabolic or a respiratory analyzer or something like that and rather have kind of like that hard figure, which is based on 
also interestingly your real time physiology so is this uh, my my biggest question on this one is is this something really just to use in a base building phase or can can you use this throughout all of your training phases to make sure that you're you're hitting that you're you're staying within that kind of aerobic threshold zone with your training and I, and I guess my that kind of comes up because you have that great case study on the on the HRV4 training website yeah daniel yeah. roland yeah daniel um, yeah, so, you know, this method is uh, more experimental, as you said. So it's something that came up from uh, recent research in which basically they've used heart rate variability during exercise. So, you know, as opposed to everything we've talked about so far, which is always at rest, to identify indeed when you basically cross a different intensity domain during exercise. So, you know, from low intensity to moderate intensity, and again, that would split, you know, the 80-20, the aerobic uh, threshold and everything that is low intensity work. And this method seems to correlate very well with other measures that, you know, you would take in the lab, ventilatory thresholds and so. So it's easier for people to check. It basically, it's a bit easier also than heart rate, because as you said, with heart rate, sometimes uh, you know, if you know everything about your heart rate, you can start that way. You know, if you know your max, if you know your dose, and, you know, if you measured it together with other uh, metabolic testing, and then, you know, you know where you stand, you can decide, okay, this is my aerobic threshold layer and below this intensity, which, however, will change over time. So you would still need to do, Correct. you know, that test, the testing again. Well, we, in theory, with this method, you will look at how, HRV changes over time, but it's uh, basically an analysis of the data with respect to itself. So the property of, of the signal change over time so that you don't have to use, you know, your maximal heart rate or any other reference point. The value that we get from the data is uh, seems to be universal so that, you know, everybody would use that because it's not a threshold that works for everyone, but it's how your own heart rate property changes over time. When you, when you train or when you do aerobic exercise. Um, so, you know, that should change also over time as you gain fitness, uh, you know, in theory, uh, it should be reflected there. So, you know, you reach that point, um, for example, at a faster pace uh, as you get fitter. Um, so those things, um, I don't think they have been uh, thoroughly investigated yet because, you know, we have studies where they look at different people at different metabolic testing and you know every person is one data point there is no longitudinal follow-up but you know now again that we have tools that people can use to check these and monitor it, monitor it over time as they go through different uh, phases of training as you mentioned with the case that, that Daniel brought he saw also these changes so yeah I think it can be a very effective way to basically make sure that you're not going too hard which is you know very typical of maybe especially runners, but recreational runners, you know, stuck in moderate intensity is, is very typical. And then doing hard sessions, not hard enough because you're always a bit tired from, you know, going a bit too hard on the other sessions. So I think, uh, yeah, maybe we've all been there. I've been there for sure. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, then learning to, you know, manage your intensities, I think it's, uh, it's great. It's one of those things that certainly will lead to performance gains once you start doing that correctly. And this could be a tool that allows you to do that, yeah, maybe in a bit easier way. 
How how has adoption been on that app so far? Well, you know, that's uh, uh, our research tool. So we, we had it like for maybe 10 years. It was our first app. There has been certainly more interest <laughs> the past three, four months than in the previous nine years and seven months. <laughs> so that was because, you know, it's an app that only universities use because they need to run studies and it logs HRV data. So and then you export the data. It's really a bit geeky. It's, you know, not so consumer friendly but at the same time i think uh, it's still the only tool out there that can do that especially for this analysis of dfa and alpha one so for this measure of aerobic threshold and it's actually been extremely useful i think from that point of view you know you release something again people can try it and then they will just report back and we learn so much also from everybody trying to you know different tests progressions and steady state uh, at you know just a bit below or above threshold how does that change when you have you know cardiac decoupling and because you've been out some hours and you know all these different dynamics that maybe were not even tested in the labs now you start to see that more because you know people are sharing um, how they use the tool and what they're learning and i think that can also inform uh, the research at that point because you know the authors of this research have been also very active uh, with us and on social media and everything so that, you know, it's all pointers that you get. And then you think, okay, now let's try to look at this more systematically and do a study where we look at these aspects that, you know, came out from uh, from people trying the tools. So I think, you know, we are learning more every day, but uh, it sounds like um, a promising approach also for training intensity management, let's say. Aside from just using the app, is there a way that that users can give feedback uh, like how they're experimenting with it, or do you capture enough of the the data just no, from the actually we use? we don't capture any of this data because it's a research okay. tool. So it's actually everything is self-contained only in the app, and the user is the only owner of this data. And then uh, we everything that we have is just because people are excited about trying it, and then they share it with us, and they write to us, and then uh, we learn through this process and communication. Uh, but yeah, in this case, we, there is no. Uh, let's say user generate analysis, which is something that we do with other tools uh, that are also, you know, informing the research that way, but not for this specific one, because it's always been just a self-contained app for research purposes. And that simplifies a lot the process for, you know, uh, universities and everyone that uh, needs to make sure that their data is only there for them and so on. Do you find that, uh, is there more runners or is it cyclists or triathletes? Who's who's getting into the the heart rate variability the most right now, Marco? That's definitely the three you mentioned. It's probably 90 plus percent of the user base, it would say in general. Triathletes and cyclists may be the most. I think that also comes from, you know, different... um, you know, these are sports that are more expensive and more into data. There is, you know, they work with power. They have bikes that are, you know, it's not a pair of running shoes, despite Nike's efforts, you know, to make them very expensive. But still, it's not as much as a bike. And then, you know, it's uh, these sports, uh, I think people are more into data and analyzing these things. So they are, um, they are looking into it more. But runners, probably in for, for our users, is... Uh, yeah, the third most used sport. And, you know, as a runner, some of the features, sometimes I feel like I've developed the app more for runners. But at the same time, you know, 
uh, at least the analytics that come from the data uh, that are not just linked to HRV and, st and stress, you know, things like VO2 max and training load and lactate threshold estimations and more uh, runner oriented, let's say. But I would say, yeah, the, the ones you mentioned are certainly the ones that are more into this kind of thing. So, you know, individual sports, endurance sports, swimming a bit. But yeah, maybe they're even less used there to work with data because it's been historically very difficult to measure even just physiology during swimming. So, you know, it's, um, it's not there yet. I see. Interesting. I work with a, a functional medicine practice here in Austin, and we do some metabolic breath analysis with athletes and trying, trying to really look at the three energy systems and see which one is your key limiter and then help athletes develop programs that they can use to, to start to work that fitness, right? The biggest challenge we've seen for runners so far is respiratory fitness. And there are a couple of tools out there that can help with respiratory fitness. The big one we've come across is Spiro Tiger. It's a little bit difficult to implement that with people. And so I was naturally interested when I came across HRV for biofeedback. That's, that's about breath training. What are you after with that app? So I think the angle might be a bit different. But still, it's about breathing and deep breathing. You know, again, another, I would say, more experimental app and tool that we have developed to basically try to train, I would put it this way, uh, you know, try to train the parasympathetic system so that, you know, okay, we face different stressors and sometimes your HIV is reduced and you try to prioritize recovery and all of that. But can you do something about it to have a positive impact on your physiology and your HIV apart from not facing stressors that day, you know, like right. can you do something positive about it? And, you know, deep breathing uh, works in a way that when you breathe at your resonant frequency, which is typically around six breaths per minute, you know, so basically five seconds inhale, five seconds exhale, 10 second cycles, and then you did that and you stimulate the parasympathetic system. Basically, you have the largest oscillations in instantaneous heart rate. And that is something that you can capture easily at the acute level. So as you do it, there will be very large variations. Your HIV will be super high. But then it is also true that as soon as you're done, you go back to normal. So the big question is, if I practice this, uh, you know, which is similar to mindfulness meditation and it doesn't have to right. be you know with technology and anything of that it's just forms of meditation basically and deep breathing uh if you do it long enough will that impact your baseline physiology i think that's where it gets interesting for me you know it's uh more than the practice itself and the acute change which is quite obvious is can you do that sustain that practice and then will that you know impact your baseline physiology and that's, I think, more difficult to um, even just to determine because if you look at weeks and months, then, you know, how do you isolate only that when everything else is also happening? Because it's always easy to see changes at the acute level also because, you know, it's happening right now, we measure and that's it. But then if you talk about days and days and days, um, a lot of things happen. And then, you know, people might respond differently, I think, 
there is good evidence of the use of these tools for uh, you know managing um, anxiety and depression and different clinical conditions at the same time a lot of people you know use these practices because they simply feel better so there are benefits that okay they are there regardless of changes in physiology uh, and then you know with the technology i think we can start also to look more into that and see if you can have changes in uh, in physiology and resting physiology because of that practice um, and you know how much you need to practice to get there why some people improve and why some don't things like that so you know basically self-regulation and try to improve again the parasympathetic system which is basically what is measured via hrv um yeah and your resting physiology that's a, that's amazing. So I feel like managing mental and emotional stress is a big blind spot for most of us. I mean, sort of culturally, especially in the United States, I feel comfortable making that argument that we're, we don't focus on that. It's not a big enough part of the conversation for us. And so I, I like that you're marrying that with, okay, here's your heart rate variability, but then what do I do about it? Right? Well, here, here's one tool. And it's because it's not just about managing physical stress and, and, altering your training stimulus and load there are other elements that you have to manage and, and you need to be actionable about that whether it's mindfulness meditation breathing work or yeah exactly it's you know about trying to manage stress in different ways that could be you know basically also a stressor but a positive one that you can use to try to make these changes and you know sometimes for some people it's just easier if there is some sort of feedback that's why you know it's it's called biofeedback because you see your heart rate and HIV as you breathe, if you want to look at it uh, or glance at it, you know, if you do it with eyes closed and everything. For some people, it's hard to start meditating or, you know, just sitting there and thinking of uh, nothing, so to speak. And, you know, um, yeah, and, you know, not get bored or keep up the practice. So um, sometimes the technological component can be just an aid to that process. And then, yeah, we, hopefully we will also learn more about this and how you actually can have some level of influence at the physiological level as well. Um, yeah, if any, because, you know, I think it's up for debate. Yeah, I appreciate all that. It, 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 as as Jason said, you know, just particularly male Americans, you know, we're not allowed to talk about that, uh, or, or it's it's not cool, or whatever. <laughs> and and to to have this good technology of of heart rate variability, and like I'm repeating what Jason said, but just to be able to kind of give a segue into to doing something about that and relaxing and 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 having a tool to use with it. That's that's fantastic, and and I I hope our our culture continues to change and 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 get better at this. For sure, for sure. So, Jason, if we if we try to bring this full circle, I think the broad conversation is about stress, but I want to make sure we don't make anyone afraid of stress because stress can be really positive for us, right? We go out, we do these hard workouts, we train so that we induce stress and we our body adapts to those training stresses. But we want to know when we're doing too much, when we're getting too stressed out and heart rate variability, as we've talked about here today, can be a really great tool for us just understanding what that total load is and when maybe we need to pump the brakes a little bit or look more deeply 
into our day-to-day life or our lifestyle and understand where there might be some other sources of stress that we need to manage through different tactics. And so uh, how does that sound for a, for a two second summary of this? Yeah, that's, that's perfect. You know, uh, HRV is really about the response to stress. You know, the stress is good. We need stress to grow, as you said. Um, And what we measure is how we are responding to that. Hopefully that will not, teach us anything you know it means everything is fine but then sometimes things don't go as planned so uh we can you know use that um to adjust and then hopefully that will lead to better outcomes yeah and then you know cause and effect and then being able to plan accordingly to 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 maximize the stress that we give ourselves and then you know being aware of when we've gone too far or what life events can do and how they affect it. Because I think those two have not been connected, you know, oftentimes with athletics, uh, the whole spectrum, kind of the big picture kind of thing. So yeah, this is, this is a great way to, to, to kind of dive into that and, and improve that situation and become more efficient. So thank you, Marco. <laughs> thank you so much. Marco, this has been a a great conversation. We really appreciate your time. I love the problems you're solving and how you're approaching them at the intersection of technology and human physiology. For those that might be interested in learning more about your work, the products that you have, or following you more generally, where can they find you? Um, So my website is marcoaltini.com or hrv4training.com. And then uh, I use Twitter quite a bit, Altini underscore Marco. Maybe later I can just send you a couple of links if you want to share them. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I can share all that in the show notes. Super. Awesome. Okay, well, thank you very much and uh, have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Marco. Thanks.